So productive rest, if you don't have productive rest in your life, you probably, and I'll just say it, you have weak faith. Yeah. You don't have to, enough faith to, to rest. <laughs> to rest is to trust. Yeah, that 100%. Thing. Yeah. The rest is to trust. Welcome to the Kindling Fire. My name is Troy Mangum. God is preaching a sermon to the world through people's lives. People's experience, history, and testimonies all point to some amazing attribute of God that you too can experience. I interview revolutionaries, fire starters, and troublemakers. This podcast is here to be a voice of encouragement in your life. A voice that says, with God you can, and with God you will step into the abundant life. So let's get rolling. Today on The Kindling Fire, I have a favorite coming back, uh, Jordan Rayner. Thanks for coming back on the show, Jordan. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Troy. So uh, you, I reached out to you, gosh, it, I want to say 40 years ago with a Call to Create, yeah. which was such an powerful uh, resource, a book that you wrote several years ago. Uh, and then uh, we had a conversation about Call to Create. And then we, had a, we were just kind of thinking through it before the show. Uh, right before COVID, we had a powerful conversation on Master, uh, Master of One, which was a very, um, such, a, such a powerful concept of book. So now we're getting to talk about your new book, Redeeming Your Time. And uh, I'm really excited about that. But I want to kind of catch up the listeners and, and kind of where you're at. Like uh, yeah. you've made some transitions, I think, since Master of One. So just yeah. kind of tell us a little bit about who you are and kind of where you're at since then. Yeah, sure. So um, it's so funny when you're on a show and you got three episodes right now. Yeah. This is me, third, number number three on the Kindle sure, sure. Fire. So uh, it'll be fun for people to go back and retrace the steps. But yeah. I, I spent the first 10 years of my career as a tech entrepreneur. I started and sold a couple of different companies. Uh, most recently, I ran a pretty well-funded tech startup here in Tampa called Threshold. And ran up for two and a half years as its CEO, but partially because of that book, Master of One. Yeah. And realizing that if I want to do my most exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others, my work's got to get more focused. Mm. Uh, I stepped down as CEO of this venture. And by the way, this is kind of the entrepreneurial dream job. We grew from yeah, I took over the company when we had about five people. We grew to about 125 people in two mm. and a half years. We had fen have phenomenal investor group behind the business. Uh, but yeah, I was just so convinced that, you know, I, I had this business that was growing really quickly. I also had Call to Create, which had come out. And yeah. so my author platform was growing really quickly at the same time. And I just became really convinced that I had to put all of my eggs in one of those baskets. So uh, I stepped down as CEO. I became executive chairman of the board, uh, a role that I still hold today. So I still have a foot in that business. Yeah. But today I'm spending the vast majority of my time helping Christ followers respond to this radical biblical idea that what we do 40, 50 hours a week matters for eternity. And this book, Redeeming Your Time, is really just one of many expressions of that mission. If we believe that mm. our work as entrepreneurs and writers and parents and plumbers and whatever matters to God, then we should care, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, about redeeming the time 
Mm. because the days are evil. I think a lot of Christians believe that time management is this secular idea. Uh, yeah, scripture argues to the contrary. Commenting on Ephesians 5.16, Tim Keller says that time stewardship is a biblical command, right? So we're commanded to redeem our time. Uh, and that's really why I wrote this book, Troy. Yeah. So, so let's, let's hone in on that word redeem. Um, you know, I, I, that I'm glad, so glad you quoted that scripture because it really, um, highlights, you know, it's just sort of like the days are evil, redeem the time. Like what was, just tell us your heart behind that word. Like why choose that word? Uh, what, what is your heart behind your viewpoint of redeeming time? What does that look like? And then we can dig more into detail about some of the meat, uh, on sure. this, this book. Yeah. So to be clear, it's not my word, right? Right. This yeah. is, uh, this is the apostle Paul's word. And what I love is that the context of this verse as with everything in scripture is everything, right? So mm. Paul spends the first four chapters of Ephesians, basically expounding upon the gospel of grace. Uh, he reiterates that point in Ephesians five, one, he, he reminds us of our status as quote, dearly loved children of God. Mm. And then as Paul so frequently does in his letters, he's so good at this. He's anticipating his readers' questions, right? Mm. And I think the question he's anticipating as he works from Ephesians 5.1 to Ephesians 5.16 is, okay, Paul, we've been saved. We get it. We've been redeemed, as it says in Ephesians 2, not by our works, but by faith so that nobody can boast. Now what? What does that mean? And he says... See then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Why do we care about redeeming our time? Because redeeming our time allows us to do more of the good works that he mentioned in Ephesians 2.10, that bring mm. glory to God, that create for his eternal kingdom, that make disciples, that impress the Lord's commands on our children's hearts, that enjoy God and his good blessings, right? We don't redeem time for our own selfish pursuits. We redeem our time because we believe that we have been saved for a purpose. We are not saved just to sit and wait around for eternity. We have been saved to do the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. See Ephesians 2.10. Yeah. And man, I love that because you're really, you're really, you're taking, so time is a gift from the Lord. Right. And now what you're doing is saying, yes, it is a gift from the Lord. And the way that you manage it or mismanage it will be you'll be found faithful or unfaithful with this this gift called time. And um, I mean, it, it's and I've been around a lot, as you have with entrepreneurial, I mean, time management and time and, you know, all that piece. There's this whole like world there. But to be able to provide a biblical perspective on time management. I mean, it's really fun. So, well, yeah. And listen, like there's 60,000 books on time management yeah. on Amazon right now. Uh, the question I get the most is like, does the world really need another time management book? And yeah. for a long time, I didn't think so. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I, but, but as I read more and more in this space, I've read, I don't know, let's call it the top 50 perennial sellers in this category. Troy, I, I had two major problems with them. Number one, these books tend to be centered on what I call workspace productivity, right? Mm. The idea is, hey, if you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and swamped, uh, follow the author system. And oh, by the way, you have to do it all and follow it perfectly. And then 
you'll find peace at the end of this tunnel. Um, yeah, as a Christ follower, I believe I already have ultimate peace with God. See Romans mm. 5 1. I don't do time management exercises in a wild goose chase to find deep soul level peace. I do it in response to the peace I've already been given. That's a radically different foundation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. One of the things I, in, in following the Lord for as long as I have, I, I've had this. Um, I'm a very um, driven person by nature. And so I'm always feeling like I'm running out of time or uh, there's always this high pressure uh, thing I need to execute on in a very short window of time. And I found that in walking with the Lord, he seems to not be in a rush. And there is actually far more time than I actually, uh, like I've come to discover, wow, like, I mean, if you follow the Lord, things can be done in such, with such precision that it actually takes less time uh, versus, you know, kind of wildly going about whatever it is you think needs to be done. Oh gosh, it needs to be done. And you're just spinning your cycles and it's not really that productive and you could have actually slowed down and been more productive. So can you speak a little bit yeah, about that dynamic? Totally. And this is one of the hallmarks of how Jesus manages time. And th this gets to the other big problem. I have with other books in this space. I've never read a time management book that accounts for how the author of time managed his time mm. when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Christian or not, I think it's pretty hard to dispute that Jesus was the most productive person to ever walk the earth. And for 33 years, he was confined to the same 24-hour day that you and I are confined to. Right. Mm -hmm. And no, the gospel biographies do not show Jesus with a to do list or, you know, a smartwatch, but they do show him, as you point out, seeking to be busy without being hurried. They show him fighting for solitude so that he could think and discern the will of the Father. They show him dealing with distractions at work. I mean, my word, a guy literally fell through the roof over Jesus' head while he was preaching one time. Right. Yeah. So, in other words, the gospel showed Jesus facing the same challenges that we face today as we seek to redeem our time. How arrogant of us not to look to him, the author of time, for the model for how to be purposeful and present and wildly productive. And that's what this book is. I basically said, all right, what are the principles, the timeless time management principles that Jesus, the author of time, exhibited in the Gospels? That's the seven principles of this book. And yeah. then I've mapped them to 32 wicked practical practices that mm. help us live out those principles in our modern context. Because the way we do it is going to be pretty different than the way Jesus and his disciples lived out those principles in the first century. So I'm going to, uh, so I, let's get into those principles, but first I want to um, ask you, and it may map to some of your principles is that I I'm re recalling a story of where Jesus was in solitude yeah. uh, praying. Uh, and then he comes out of that and his disciples say, where have you been? Hmm. All these people are looking for you yeah, and they're wanting your, your time or something from you. And he says to them, let's go somewhere else. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is Mark chapter one, right? Uh, Jesus had spent the previous day, afternoon and evening healing a bunch of people. He healed Peter's mother-in-law, 
And then everyone in the town came by and they wanted their healing too. And Jesus healed a bunch of people. They went to bed. Jesus wakes up early the next morning because time with the father was his number one priority. Yeah. And they said, hey, the people want more healing. And he says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages and preach the gospel for that is why I've come, right? Yeah. Uh, so it reminds us that number one, Jesus had to prioritize his time. It's a wild idea. Sometimes that led him to say no. Now, other times he said yes, sacrificially. Right. Uh, clearly, when he didn't want to say yes to the people's request for his time, but that's a radical idea. And it enables us to say no more frequently uh, yeah. to things competing for our attention and distracting us from the work we believe that God has equipped us to do in this life. Yeah, I, I can I can imagine a Christian basically saying, um, there's all these good things that need to be done. There's all these things that need to be done at the church. There's all these ways that I could be productive for God. And there's constant pressure and request for that. Yeah. And, and a man or a woman who does not have a, a intimate relationship with God, as Jesus did alone with God, getting some direction, getting some prioritization will be uh, driven into the ground by all the good things that they could yeah, be yeah. doing. Uh, and then thinking that, well, I'm sacrificing my life. I'm giving it to God. Whereas Jesus himself said, there is a healing need here. And I'm actually not going here because the purpose that God has on me is to go somewhere else. Yep. And I'm able to do that in the face of something that everybody would be like, well, that's a very unchristian thing to do, Jesus. Totally, totally. I also think there's great arrogance in this thinking that's pervasive uh, in the church. This idea that I need to fill all of these holes. I need to fix all of these problems. Come on. Now, I'll just quote to you, John the Baptist. I am not the Christ. Right. And neither are you. Yep. Our job, God has uniquely designed you with specific gifts. Here's the thing. Here's the deal. You know what I'm good at? Jordan Ray is good at? I'm good at communicating ideas. That's it. That's it. I am the wrong person to serve on the finance committee. I'm the wrong person to serve in a million other roles within my church. But here's the good news. That's why God created other believers and gave yeah. them those unique gifts. This is just appreciating the capital C church, right? Mm. And reminding ourselves that I don't have to do everything because I am not the Christ. And God is going to use many other people to accomplish his purposes. That's what enables me to stay focused in my lane on the work that God has equipped me and designed me to do, not for my own fame and fortune, but for his glory and the good of others. Yeah, you're tying identity and time management together. If you don't know who you are in the kingdom of God, you will probably be a terrible time manager because you have no idea really what to do with your time that's exactly because right. you don't know who you are in the kingdom. Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, spot on. <laughs> All right, we're I done. Nothing, I got nothing to add to that. <laughs> hey, so let's get into these seven biblical principles. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd love for you to kind of tease out uh, those yeah. for us. Yeah, just at a high level, here they are. Number one, start with the word. Jesus prioritized time with the Father above sleep, above eating, above time with his disciples. We got to do the same if we want to manage our time for eternal mm. rather than temporal purposes. Mm. Principle number two, let your yes be yes. This one directly from the mouth of Christ, right? Uh, so many times, so much in, in time management thinking is about setting bigger goals and defining new things that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here's the problem. Most of us aren't fulfilling the commitments we've already made. 
to mm-hmm. ourselves and to others because we're saying yes in a million different places in text messages and in starred emails and commitments that are running around just in our head. We got to make sure our yes is yes before we do anything else. That's principle number two. Yeah, let me uh, inter- interrupt yeah, you for the men. This is for the men, guys. When you said yes to your wife on your wedding day, she still remembers that even though you may have forgotten. There you go. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, principle number three, descent from the kingdom of noise. When you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the number of times you see Jesus withdrawing to a solitary or quote unquote lonely place is mind boggling and stands in stark contrast to the way that we live our lives today. We need silence and solitude to think clearly, to be creative, and most importantly, to listen to the voice of God. And we see that evidenced in the life of Christ. Uh, Principle number four, prioritize your yeses. We already touched on this. Jesus didn't say yes to everything. Neither can we. Principle number five, accept your uni presence as Christians We believe that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. But for 33 years, when the word became flesh, Jesus accepted and embraced the same unipresence that you and I experience today. He confined himself to one physical place at a time. And yet here we are, how arrogant of us, thinking that we can at least mentally be in more than one place at a time. It's a lie. Jesus shows it's a lie. And in this chapter of the book, we unpack how we can accept our uni presence today. Principle six, embrace productive rest. This may be the hardest for high achievers like you and me, Troy, right? Uh, all throughout the gospels, we see Jesus resting, inviting other people to rest. And what I talk about in this chapter of the book is that rest is counterintuitively the most productive thing sometimes that we could do for our souls and for our goals And then finally, the seventh principle of the book is eliminate all hurry, obviously borrowed from my friend John Mark Comer, which he borrowed from Dallas Willard. It's this idea (laughs) that Jesus was crazy busy, right? Uh, There was one time his family said he was, quote, out of his mind. That's a direct quote from scripture. They thought he was so busy, but he was never busy in a way that made him frantic or Mm. anxious or snapping at the other people in his life. And that's the line between busyness and hurry. And so in that final chapter of the book, it kind of puts all the pieces together and says, okay, how can we be busy without crossing over into that enemy territory of hurry? So those are the seven principles, Troy, at a really high level. Yeah, so I'll just uh, comment on a couple of them. One, the, yeah. one that's, that said that productive rest, you know, for me, productive rest is an evidence of faith. Um, yes. If you believe in your omnipresence, which is a lie, but you more believe in your unipresence than the idea that God will be working when you're not working, that God will set up things that you don't need to be worrying and fretting about. So productive rest, if you don't have productive rest in your life, you probably, and I'll just say it, you have weak faith. Yeah. You don't have enough faith to to rest. (laughs) To rest is to trust. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. Yeah. The rest is to trust. And Troy, you're, you're hitting on something we see all throughout scripture, uh, that rest is good for our souls. But what science will tell you is that rest actually makes us more productive for the goals that we're chasing after life, especially 
Sabbath, taking breaks throughout the day and sleep, right? Like yeah. the, the, the scientific evidence around not six, not seven hours, but an eight hour sleep opportunity every night is overwhelming, overwhelming. Yeah. A week, I talk about this study in the book, seven days in a row with seven hours of sleep is the equivalent mentally of you being awake for 24 hours. Mm. Do you know how many years I did this? Mm-hmm. I mean, seven hours of sleep and, and operating as if I had gotten none. Uh, this is a really important conversation the church needs to be having if we care about doing our most exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others. Yeah, it's, it's like one of those universal truths like God's put in the world and, and it's sort of like the tortoise and the hare, right? Um, that whole analogy, you know, didn't come from nothing. Yeah. Right. There, there's a truth on the steady. There's a truth on the forward progress and the fast and the distracted. The truth and the steady will win every day over the fast and distracted every day. That's it. So, look at Chick-fil-A. Nobody wanted Chick-fil-A to be a tenant in their malls early on because there's no way this little chicken company from Atlanta was going to outsell everybody in six days uh what everyone else was saying right. seven today people are begging chick-fil-a to come and yeah. hold our malls right rest makes us more productive at an individual level at a corporate level and it shouldn't surprise us because to rest one day out of seven is to live and work in the image of God, right? Yeah, like, no, amen. Yeah. This is how he did it. Like, I don't know why we're spending so much time and energy trying to figure out how to break the mold and, and to not, to live outside of the mm-hmm. image and example of the creator God. So, uh, so I want to dig on another principle and then we'll kind of wrap it up. And, and that is the principle of solitude. Um, can you give for, for folks that really struggle, right? Yeah. Their mind is racing. They've got more than uh, they, it's just, they don't live in a restful place. Solitude sounds like, you know, like, you know, torture. Yeah. <laughs> can you, can you help people in that space? Like what, what would be some practices? What would yeah. be some things that are practical to help with solitude? Oh man. Yeah. Let's do this. So um, I mentioned there's 32 practices Mm-hmm. spread out across these seven principles. Nine of these practices are in this chapter on solitude. Oh, really? <laughs> because we have got to get good at this because we suck at this, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, all right, let me offer you a radical one and then I'll give you a less radical one. The radical one's the approach I've taken. Um, I decided about six years ago uh, to totally 100% abstain from the news. Because when we, when we talk about noise, most of the time we're talking about digital devices, but I would argue news is, is maybe the biggest culprit, if not number one, a really close number two, right? Mm. Uh, and I was a news addict for a long time. But again, six years ago, I just decided no more. No news websites, no news on the TV, no news podcasts, nothing. But here's what I wish somebody had told me sooner. Even though I stopped intaking all that information, my friends started curating the news for me unknowingly naturally willingly here's the deal troy i hear about every single thing that matters to my life and to my work i'm a huge fan of tim keller right the author pastor when tim tweeted that he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer eight 
of my friends texted me the news within 10 minutes of it breaking. I hear about hurricanes. I'm in Florida. That's important to me. I hear about race riots and media trends and every new Taylor Swift album rumor because I'm a closet Swifty, right? And I don't have to spend a second on social media or news services to hear those things because my friends are feasting at the all-you-can-eat information buffet, consuming all this stuff that's mostly irrelevant to them. And here's the deal. They're bringing me back to the table, the banana pudding, the stuff that is relevant to me and my work. I don't have to spend time out there. I have totally dissented from this kingdom of noise. So I would go. Try it. try it for a week. <laughs> try it for 30 days and see if you miss anything truly relevant to your life and work. That's so now, good. I know that's too radical for most people. So yeah. here's a less radical practice. If you still want to read the news, still want to be on social, just stop swimming in infinity pools of content, right? Infinity pools are news websites that seamlessly scroll from one meaningless story to the next. You don't even have to click. There's the story right there. Uh, and an infinity pool is Instagram stories, right? Yeah. It never stops. Confine yourself to finite pools of content, a daily news roundup, email or podcast. Uh, for, for heaven's sake, a physical newspaper. I'm going to sound like I'm 85. I promise I'm 35, <laughs> right? But here's the beauty of a physical newspaper. It has a start and end point. You can't waste time ad nauseum in a newspaper. In the words of the New York Times masthead, it's all the news that's fit to print. It's a fit. It could find box. So if you're not going to let your friends curate the news for you, at least stop swimming in these infinity pools of content. Yeah, that's great. Man, I, you got to pick up this book, Redeeming Your Time. It's really going to help you and have a biblical perspective of time management. Uh, but I do want to end with just a quick note on a special project it seems like you're doing with a children's book. Just uh, tell us a little bit about that. Oh, man, I got to be honest. Uh, I've never been more excited about a project, mostly because uh, this is not a cute, quote unquote, children's book. It's not a cartoony. I framed the artwork that the illustrator put together in my house. It's gorgeous. Mm. It's epic. So here's, here's the gist of this book. Here's why I wrote it. I got three young daughters, seven, five, and two. I have read them. Troy, I cannot tell you how many books I've read them about the creation account of Genesis 1. Mm. And they all follow the same pattern, right? It's God created this on day one. He created that on day two. Day three, four, five, six, the end. And every time I close these books, I want to scream because here's the deal. The sixth day wasn't the end of creation. It was the beginning. Mm. It's when God passed the baton to us and said, hey, my children, I made you in my image, my creative image, to go fill this earth with good things that point to my glory. So, uh, so I wanted to write a book that got at this big idea. And that's what this book, The Creator in You, is. It, it's essentially, I call it a three-act play in three minutes, right? So mm. act one. You see God working, right? You see him working in those first six days, but real quick, you get to act two. It says this, it says, and now you might think there are stories ending after watching God create, because that's what every children's book told you. But in fact, this is just the beginning. God mm. needs you to look like him, to act and work and create with him. Because while in six days, God created a lot, 
There are so many things that he simply did not like bridges and baseballs, sandcastles and s'mores. God asked us to create and fill the earth with more. Right. Yeah. That's the crux of the book. And then the, the final act, act three, you just watch these kids joyfully responding to that message and filling the earth with art and lemonade stands and tree forts and spaceships that point to God's glory. So I, 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 this book is so special to me because I think if our kids get this at a really early age, man, they are going to view their current work, whether it's artwork around the house or, or chores or homework, and their future careers with an unparalleled vision that this work is God-ordained. And when they see that, they're going to see that work with purpose, with enthusiasm, and worshipful joy. Yeah, man, that I, that sounds so good. If you're a parent out there and you want to inspire your kids to to tap in the creative energies that God has put inside of them, uh, you got to get this book. So when that when's that coming out? Yeah, so it's coming out sometime in April. It's on a it's literally on a slow boat from China right now. We're waiting <laughs> for it to get here. But here's the deal. One one thing I'm doing. Um, I don't know about the kids of your listeners, but my kids, the number one thing they love in the world are stickers. Uh, <laughs> The second thing is physical mail. So here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm sending, if you buy the book on Amazon, wherever you buy your books, it's called The Creator and You, then go to jordanrainer.com, fill out a form. I'm going to send your kids a dedication sticker. I'm going to write their names on it. I'm going to sign it and send them a sticker in the mail with their name on it. And they can put it right there in the front of the book. And it'll say to your kid, to Jackson, to Emery, whatever, may you always abound in the creativity of the father and I'll sign it for him and they'll have it forever. Man, that's so awesome. Hey, Jordan, it has been so fun to have you back on. I always love having you on. You have such good material. You have such depth of the things that you share. Uh, just keep at it, man. I can't wait to hear all the more you're going to create. So thank you for coming back on. Oh, let me say uh, you did mention it, but say your website one more time so yeah. they can find you. Jordanrainer.com. It's J O R D A N like Michael, R-A-Y-N-O-R.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jordan, for coming on. Thank you, Troy. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I am doing a YouTube channel, so we do video formats of these podcasts, and we'd love to have you look there. Okay, guys. Until next time, be awesome.